Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. With me today is Andy Lopata, who is an acclaimed professional relationship strategist, author, podcast host, and professional speaker. He has written four books on networking and has often been quoted in the media. The Financial Times has called Andy's one of Europe's leading business networking strategists, and both Forbes.com and The Independent have called him a true master of networking. Hello, Andy, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello, Leticia. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Well, I'm very excited to have you on board because I'm a big fan of networking. And uh, I was duped when I was uh, growing up, uh, Miss Social Butterfly, because <laughs> I guess that I, I've i always been, you know, a, a big networker myself. So I, I'm excited about that. You are in England, right? I am, yes, just outside London. Awesome. So you're my second guest from the United Kingdom. So that's that's awesome. And uh, Andy, I mean, I definitely want to uh, talk about your your books and the amazing work you're doing. You have an incredible web page that I will be making sure that we share. But I always like to establish, you know, a link between the passions that you had as a, as a younger individual in your childhood. Is there anything that Andy had when you were growing up that you can see now as an adult? Oh, that's why I'm this way. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, there, there's probably a couple of things. I think the biggest one for me that where I've made that strong connection between my childhood and my, my career is acting. So, so when I when I was a teenager and probably a bit younger as well, I, I went to a drama school evening classes for quite a number of years, and it was something I, I for for a while I really excelled at and, and I enjoyed. You know, I would I would be given the lead roles in a number of productions uh, at school and at the drama group. Along with a schoolmate, we were invited to audition for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, which was quite a coup. Didn't didn't get the role, but just to be invited to audition was something special. I imagine. Um, and then many years later, I realised that here I am, and, and a core part of my work is standing on stage. It just happens to be a one man show that I write the words for <laughs> the whole time. Um, and you don't uh, have to audition for. Well, in a uh, way, you have, well, but once you no, get it. Yeah, <laughs> constant audition. Different audition type. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, so I think that's the biggest connection. There are, yeah, I mean, for example, you know, you mentioned networking and I had never heard of the word networking until I got involved in it 21 years ago. Um, actually, it might even be 22 years ago now. But it was something that I did naturally. Now, when that started and why, I don't know. It would, I'm sure it would be related to my upbringing. But that, that connecting people, getting involved, you know, at school, I 
I was involved with the debating society in my sixth form and at university. At university, I was involved with anti-apartheid and Amnesty International. I was our regional uh, student coordinator for, for Amnesty International, the Football Supporters Association. I, I was just someone who got involved. Uh, I, I didn't attend any lectures at university. I just got involved with all the campaign. <laughs> um, so I think there's a natural extension from that, that volunteer through to what I do now. Um, I see. And and you're in the first part of your, and you were raising, I imagine you're originally from England? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. And so, and, and the first part of, you know, when you finish university or you transition into, let's call the, the corporate world or the working work, uh, what was the first thing you got into it? Them. Well, I actually, I left university a little bit early because for two reasons. I had a health condition that was really affecting my ability uh, and energy levels, and my ability to study. So, so I left. It was a genuine reason, but I think it was also a genuine excuse, if that, if that makes sense, because I wasn't, I was never, it's ironic I look back at it now, having written five books, but I wasn't a studier. I wasn't an academic. That wasn't, that's probably why I didn't go to lectures. I got involved in these campaigns instead. I was a doer rather than a, a studier. But also I wanted to work in the record industry and, and I, I had a careers interview and uh, about halfway through university. And I said, I want to work in the record industry. And the guy had no idea. Mm -hmm. And really the record industry is an entry level. There's not grad, or then there wasn't a graduate level entry. It really is a school school a school leaver entry. You start at the bottom, you make the tea, and you work your way up. And and I got an opportunity. Um, so with my health issues as well, it just seemed like the right thing to do. I wasn't progressing at university. I wasn't doing the work. I wasn't enjoying it. I, my health was getting in the way of that to a large degree. Um, and it was time to join the workforce and, and just start at the bottom of the record industry. But I did that because I loved music. I, I went to a lot of concerts bought a lot of albums so it seemed like a natural fit but I, I discovered you know with that and then a later job that I was invited to apply for that some make it your work and, and I found after a few months there that it wasn't ideal. I see but it's very interesting and that's why I always have this question because I know there's people out there in the audience and I've said this on the show before you know we have we have a good chunk of uh, of youngsters you know and and as a parent also you know I always try to say if you follow your passion things materialize and you know sometimes the university path is not for everybody and uh, you know some people are more you know uh, as you say more entrepreneurship and and so it's always good to I always want to reinforce that, that if you follow your passions, no matter in how shape or form you do that, you know, usually things work out. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that in mind, what I would say to anyone at the outset of their career right now and looking at the path ahead of them is a few things. Number one, you don't have to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life when you're 18 years old. I was brought up to expect to be an accountant or a solicitor. And um, in fact, I had applied for accountancy at university and then I did two summers work experience with accountants and changed course and studied politics instead. And, and then in fact, in, in hindsight, university wasn't the right move for me. You know, some people find their vocation very early indeed. They know from their teens what they want to do and good luck to you if that's you. For others, I, I found mine when I was 29. And, and to be honest, I didn't know it existed. 
until about six months before that. And even when I went into it, it was not with vocation in mind. And, and speaking and writing, that came along another few years later, quite a lot of years later, probably about five, six, seven years later. So I was in my mid-30s, really, before I discovered speaking and writing and, and, and the things that I do now. And that's fine. You know, I, 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 if I had followed accountancy, I might be a lot wealthier than I am now, but only financially, <laughs> only financially not spiritually. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't have been happy. It wouldn't have been a fit for me. And you've got to get your priorities right. I've had jobs where I've loathed every minute of them. And I've, it's made me ill. And I love what I do now. I'm really lucky. I've had jobs where I love what I do, and I've had jobs where I hate what I do. And let me tell you, no money in the world can make a, a job that you hate worthwhile. I, I love that. I totally, it's part of, the, of my goal with this podcast is to reconnect people to their true passion, to listening to you speak. It's already, I'm sure, inspiring others and making them think, how much do I love my job and is it worth it? And, uh, and you know, it's, it takes courage because, you know, a lot of people focus on the financial aspect of it, just as you said, but then, you know, success and happiness, it's, it's a, It's not only about, you know, your salary or your job title. There's so many other components to that, uh, you know, or ecosystem, if, if you will. Definitely. I mean, go, go out and experience the world. Go and travel while you can, while you're not tied down. Go and meet people from different cultures and different nationalities and different backgrounds. This is where you, you start to get inspired. You know, ask people in different industries you know, how your skill set would fit their world. You know, when I backpacked, I I ran tours of Cape Town. I worked in hostels. I I, I worked at race course doing function setup. I, I was a runner on the film sets in Cape Town. <laughs> All of them fantastic experiences in one way or the other. I, today, um, the day we're recording this, a friend of mine has just posted a video of Mick Jagger narrating a video to celebrate 150 years of the Royal Albert Hall uh, with all back, back shots of the Albert Hall when it's empty and dressing rooms and then with full with crowds. I lived that because I was a steward at the Albert Hall for three years. That was my second home. And, and I've been in those dressing rooms. I've abseiled from the ceiling of the Royal Albert Hall onto the stage. I've been out on the roof. Uh, I've been in the Queen's box, the Royal box of the Albert Hall, you know, and, If you're too focused on what you're going to do when you retire, you miss those experiences when you're young. So, so explore the world. And for some people, university is the right thing. For, uh, for other people, it's not. Um, and if you think it's not now, and then you think later you missed out, go back. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. And I have, I think a lot of the guests that we've had have shared that passion for uh, getting to know all the other cultures. I think that's mm -hmm. a big component for your mind expanding and seeing the possibilities and seeing what's out there. And um, I did exactly what you did. I actually, my first abroad trip on my own was to Bournemouth in England to learn my English. <laughs> Well, I always joke that the accents disappear by now <laughs> with the American Spanish accent. But uh, but yeah, I've always been a, a big lover of that. And, and I agree with you. It's uh, It gives you just more breath and then also depth. And uh, I, I guess that transition, because knowing that you're like that, I know in the reading I've done of you and the research that at some point, I don't know if it's people that called you this or you called you this, but you got dubbed Mr. Network. Tell me about that. 
Well, what happened was someone, I can't remember how they came across me originally. It's, it's going back quite a long time. A journalist who wrote a small business supplement for The Sun. The Sun is the biggest tabloid paper in the UK, as you'll remember from your time here. He was put in touch with me. And, and The Sun at the time, I don't know if they still do, they used to have an agony aunt column called Dear Deirdre. And people would write their problems in and Deirdre would answer them. And what we did was what we called a Dear Deirdre style column on networking. So, And I wrote the questions and I wrote the answers and it went into this small business supplement. Um, but the funny thing was that on the front page of the supplement was a picture of me and it said, meet Mr. Network. Now, The Sun is the paper that's read, you know, by, by a large proportion of the population, but but a lot of sort of the van drivers and the, the, the builders, the, the blue collar occupations. And I'm a big football fan. And we were playing a, a home match. My team were playing a home match that night. And I went to the game. And of course, my picture had been in the sun, which everyone reads, Meet Mr. Network. So I went to the pub and it's up on the wall. You went to the toilet in the pub, it's on the wall. I went to the toilet in the ground, it's on the wall. People have plastered <laughs> it. So yeah, so that that stuck with me for quite a while, which, you know, it, it can't do you any harm. No, it's not a base. It's not definitely a bad, a bad label. And uh, But then it's interesting and that's why I resonated because I say, from my friends and people that know me, I guess I have a similar network. But then uh, it's interesting when you decided, because I read about this, that you wanted to shift that mindset into something different. And that's more into the strategy. And that's how you came up, I guess, with these professional relationship strategies, which is a lot of what you do currently, correct? Yeah. In fact, I didn't change anything other than the positioning. The content is the same, but my frustration was an, uh, was for a number of years that people's perception of what networking is was not what I believe networking to be. So people were looking at networking. If you hear the term, minds were going one of two ways generally. One is just think of networking events, so conferences, BNI, events like that full of people exchanging business cards and elevator pitches over warm wine and cold canapes. And the other is of the old boys club and people using other people and, you know, this isn't fair and there's a lot of negativity from that perspective. And I spent a lot of my career trying to change people's perception of networking. And I got to a point a couple of years ago where it was clear that this message wasn't getting through. You know, I was focusing on networking strategy but I was getting booked for networking skills. And I've written a book on networking skills. I'm quite capable of teaching it, and I'd like to think I teach it as well as anyone else, uh, having specialised in, in, in the field for a long time. But most trainers worth their salt can teach a workshop on, on, on you know, going to a networking event and, and making the most of it. Uh, I like to think I bring something to the fray, but not enough to justify the fee that I look to charge. And I was also getting booked for, for work that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. As soon as I shifted that positioning from networking to professional relationships, teaching the same things, the professional relationship strategy, the networking strategy, it became more something that leaders became more interested in because a leader thinks, oh, well, I know how to network, but, but a leader recognizes, well, I can always enhance my professional relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's more about positioning and, and, and how it's perceived 
than anything else. But what happened is really interesting is as soon as I made that shift, new ideas came to me. And so I started developing new models and new processes and new explanations for professional relationship strategy. So I came up with the seven stages of professional relationships. I came up with um, the relationship matrix, which looks at the four primary types of relationship you need in any stakeholder group on any project on which you're working. And I did, developed a number of ideas like this. And it's, it, so it has deepened and enhanced my content just by the very nature of that that shift in positioning. But ostensibly, a lot of the, the stuff is the same. Well, it's uh, but it's very powerful. I think a lot of people struggle with this. And, and you're right, it's uh, because I've been approached like, how do you network? And I haven't written books about it, but I did write a blog called Networking with Heart. And that's the best way I could explain what I try to do, which is I don't approach a relationship for what I can gain from it. I can approach it from a human perspective. And I, I am the happiest. I, I will just, this Saturday, I was having happy, we were having happy hour, a group of industry professionals. No, there's no project <laughs> that anybody's discussing. And, and really, no, it's just, a, you know, pandemic times, let's get together. And I'm the happiest when you see people you have worked with in the past and that there's interest to get together just because you like the person and, and, and what you're doing. And, and to me, that's, I think, where a lot of people get it wrong. I think I saw a quote from you, which is, make friends when you can. You cannot just do it when you need help. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you're so right on because that's usually when people start thinking, they get, they get out of their job or they want to change. And now they think about networking. Yeah. And so what I talk about is the mindset you bring to building your network. And I think you have two types of mindset. And if you are in the extreme either way, you're not in the right place. So the two mindsets are what I call a strategic or partnership mindset and a relationship mindset. So a strategic mindset is who do I need to know for what I'm trying to achieve? And that's the person on the extreme who, who, before they go to a conference, goes through the attendee list, ticked off who they're going to meet and ignores everyone else. Uh, and then the relationship mindset is the person who goes to the conference without any consideration of what they want to achieve, talks to anyone they can meet, never follows up, but just has some nice conversations. If you have the strategic mindset, your network will shrink because people will see through you very quickly and you'll miss out on the wonderful value and the richness that random connections can bring to your life. And sometimes that, that value is in actually what you want. It just comes from surprise importance. Sometimes it's something else. It's, you know, the love that you're talking about, the support, um, the validation, whatever it might be, the pleasure of helping someone else. The relationship mindset, if you're too relationship focused and you're too you know, it is good to just allow relationships develop, to develop if you have a rapport with someone, if you just get on. But if you only focus on that, then you're going to leave a lot of gaps in your network you need to plug. And if you haven't focused on trying to plug them, they will stay void, vacant. Um, so you need what I call a blended mindset. You know, look at what you're trying to achieve in your career, in your role, and say, who do I need to help me achieve this? And, and I talk about 
you know, having uh, strong relationships with influencers, intermediaries who, who, who open the door for you, sources of information, insight and ideas, and implementers. Who are those people? Do you know them well enough? But at the same time, build the relationships with people you just connect with naturally. And if you take both approaches together, you're going to have a very rich, vibrant network. That's very, very useful, useful advice. And, um, and I agree with you. And sometimes I feel in my case, because I like to think strategically too, patience always helps a little bit. Like I know, for example, sometimes I can get to someone, you know, like one way, but then I can see if I wait a little bit longer, you know, maybe two more weeks, I'm going to get the same person through a very different way, which is way more strategic and meaningful. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get impatient because I think we also get impatient when, when we talk about relationships and networking, right? Completely. Pa patience is a really key one. It, it comes up in the form that you've just described, which is a really good example. People who will pick up the phone and cold call rather than do their research, find someone who can refer them and wait till that person meets that you know, that, that prospect, if you want to use that term, in person and makes a much more powerful introduction. Patience also comes up in terms of balancing short-term targets and long-term relationships. So I work with a lot of clients who are uh, target-driven and they're measured on their targets. And, and those targets are often short, very short-term, quarterly, uh, perhaps. And so they'll be pressured by their bosses to get a quick result. And then when they work with me, I'm saying, well, is this the right time to ask that? And they go, but I need a result now. I say, yeah, you might need a result now, but if you push for that result now, you could destroy the relationship and, uh, and the rewards it can bring in the longer term. Now, I'm not saying you must do this or you must do that. What they need to do is make a balanced decision. If my short-term target is more compelling, am I willing to take the hit? on the long-term relationship potential? Or can I sacrifice my short-term needs because I know in the long-term, this is going to make next year a lot easier. And you, we're faced with those decisions all the time and we've got to make that balance all the time. And, and we have to sometimes sacrifice the short-term need for the long-term potential. Well, uh, to me, it's gold what you're saying because it's, uh, it's you can tell you know in depth this subject. You've written four books and I apologize, but I haven't read, but I will, I promise, because I already, everything you're saying is like, that's good, that's good. And and some and, and these things, I kind of, I've been doing sales for a long time, over 20 years, but sometimes you forget about these things. And, and, and sometimes you have, I, I feel I have a very strong network and sometimes maybe I do exactly what you're saying, like, oh, well, I haven't touched base or it's so much relationship base that I've forgotten that, oh, wow, yeah, I can do something for my business <laughs> here too as well. And uh, so it's good reminders. So uh, which what's the name of your last book? Is it Just Ask? Just Ask is my most recent book. So I published two last year two in 2020, okay. Connected Leadership. And Connected Leadership is the book that goes into the, the, the ideas I've just been sharing. So the, the professional relationship strategy. Uh, just Ask is more about vulnerability and, and the importance of being willing to be, to, to show you, you know, where you're struggling and ask for help. So having that support network around you. Wow, that sounds like both of them, which it means you, you had a very prolific maybe pandemic year. I don't know if you wrote them <laughs> during the year, but I, I congratulate yeah. you because that's Thank good. You. 
good work to show for a year where a lot of people say nothing happened. You got two books, which is great. And, and a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, and launched the, a, I launched a podcast last year as well. So yeah. Oh, wow. Much. That's great. Yes. And your podcast, which I also want to talk about, it's called uh, Connected Leadership, right? Yes. Yes. Same as the book. Yeah, the yes, leadership podcast. I would definitely put all that information in the show notes. And, and well, you have one more subscriber in me. I think <laughs> uh, going back to Just Ask, I think it's a very clever title. Mm-hmm. I think we need to that a reminder because some people, and I get myself included in that, I'm very bad at asking for help. Very bad at it. And I'm sure I'm not alone. And that's why you wrote a book about it. <laughs> I wouldn't have many um, book sales if, if you were alone. <laughs> yes, right? And, and it's a good reminder for anybody out there. I'm sure there's people that can help you in any aspect of your life. And, you know, sometimes all it takes is being vulnerable and saying, just ask. And uh, I myself, I know it's, a, it's one of my personal objectives for this year is, you know, my, my objective is to grow the company. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that will help me if I ask for it. Sometimes I just, you know, I don't know, you get into this mindset and, and I'm more, I like to think of myself more as a, as a helper, like I like to help a lot. <laughs> and then I first help too. So I definitely will start with that book, my reading table. Well, on what you just said, um, there's an interesting metaphor for that, or, or I have an extension to an existing metaphor. So if you've read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, he talks about emotional bank accounts. And he talks about how with, you know, with a a traditional bank, you wouldn't go into a bank and withdraw money if you haven't deposited in the first place. And relationships are exactly the same. You deposit in relationships before you look to take from them, withdraw from them. And my extension of that metaphor is you wouldn't give all your money to a bank and never withdraw it. And relationships are the same. Now, The key caveat to that is you don't go into a bank with a $10 note and when you withdraw it, get the same $10 note back. And equally with your network, you don't necessarily give to to one person and get back from them because that's where the quid pro quo comes in that that is such an energy drain on relationships because we're expecting something back. We're not giving freely. Um, we need to give freely with our expectation of return, but know that when we need to withdraw, we can go to our, our network, which is our bank in which we have deposited and ask for help from that network. But it might be we give to one person, but someone else supports us. But we need to be willing to make withdrawals. I, I, I totally relate to that. And it's very powerful advice you're, you're given. And you know, I, I, I come from an immigrant family, so I learned never withdraw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, put in, put in, put in, you know, no, don't touch your savings. And you're totally right. That's a great analogy. And I think I would link it to what we were talking before in terms of having patience about everything. And so I know in my particular case that I, I made deposits and the day I ask is because I really have a clear vision what I'm going to use that help for and that's so that I can make it happen. Because also if you start asking all the time and then that you you have a problem, right? So so but I, I totally and, and that Stephen Covey uh analogy, I think it's it's true. It's uh something I hadn't thought about in a in a long time. 
Let me give you a, a, a quote that I think you'll like. And I, if, if any, any of your listeners have heard me speak before, the chances are they've heard me share this quote because I share it so much because it, it's so, so powerful. It, it's from a lady called Elizabeth Asquith Bibesco, who was a poet and an author. And she was the daughter of the former British Prime Minister, Lord Asquith, uh, who was Prime Minister around 1900. Uh, and Elizabeth Asquith Bibesco said, Blessed are they who give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Give without remembering, receive without forgetting. And I think that's so powerful. And, and if you can really understand that, it takes away all of the negatives that we touched on earlier around that word networking. Because if you have that philosophy of I want to support people, I want to help people um, without expectation, even of thanks, just because I can. But equally, I want to get support from my network and I'm, I will show appreciation for that. Then why would there be any negative feeling around networking at all? Wow. I think, uh, you know, I have to thank you because you, that mind shift that you did for you, you're going to do it also for the rest of us. And it's a, it's important work. It's really changing that. And I agree with you. I personally, especially in English, I do not like the connotation of networking. It seems mm. almost superficial and, and just going through the motions. So I think it's very important work. You've get, you, you, you hit it on the nail. And so I definitely will follow all your work. And as we get into the end of the interview, I, I mean, you spoke about your book and your podcast, but feel free to, I always give an open mic to say anything else that is inspiring you that you're working on, that you're excited, that you want to share with the audience. Well, I mean, for me at the moment, to be honest, the, those two strands I've mentioned have really uh, engaged me over the last couple of years. The podcast I am so proud of. I've had on some incredible guests and some fantastic conversations. The premise is, is the, the subtitle of the book, uh, Connected Leadership, which is uh, how professional relationships underpin executive success. But I'm sure very much like your podcast, you know, you have your premise and then you, you have a free-ranging conversation that gives you the answers that you're looking for. But that free range has led some, to some fantastic, inspiring conversations with people from amazing walks of life, you know, space shuttle astronauts, leaders in the US military, um, orchestral conductor from Israel, uh, the former CEO of Porsche and BMW. So some, you know, I'm really proud of, of you know, the six months so far, um, what we've achieved in that time. You've got a good feel for Connected Leadership, the book, in this conversation. Just ask, we've touched on. That's the passion project for me. I realized about five years ago that I was, my business was struggling. And yet when people were asking me, how's work? How's business? I was saying, it's great. And this was to people I trusted and I liked. And I wasn't letting them in to help me. And if I wasn't doing that, what about everyone else? And then in the time, I made a commitment to myself that I would change my approach and attitude. I would ask for help and I would turn the business around. And when I'd done so, I would give a talk at my uh, professional association convention to encourage everyone else to do the same. And on that journey, someone that I'd known very well through my network uh, died. And it turned out he'd taken his own life. And it was because he had money problems and he didn't tell anyone. So that really brought that personal aspect home to another degree. And so that's been, 
you know, you said if I'd written both books last year, Just Ask has been a project for about five years. And it's been a bit of a struggle as well. And that's covered in the book. Um, so that's the real passion project. And what's lovely is that goal of speaking at the, the UK Professional Speaking Convention. I've now delivered this talk at the Indian Convention, at the Singapore Convention. I'm delivering it at the South African Convention in a couple of months. Um, I've delivered it to the New Zealand Professional Speakers Association. So I'm able to spread that message in my professional community um, around the world, as well as beyond that community on conversations like this. So I think that we've we've probably covered what's really what I'm immersed in at the moment and and got a good feel for those, to be honest. Oh, and it's exciting stuff. Well, uh, my last question, I always ask it and you share with people like you, it's easy because you see the passion, you you speak your passion and it's easy. But in those times when you are having a bad day and you're like a little bit down, we all been through those moments where things don't look that uh, promising. You want to reconnect to that inner part of yourself that just gives you butterfly and say, yeah, Andy's here. This is who I am. What what do you go to to reconnect with that aspect? Um, probably at the moment, you know, in in, in, in the UK, we're in a lockdown. So the, <laughs> we've just had new stages uh, published where we can come out of it over the next few months. But over the last few months, it, it's been walking. And that that's always there. You know, I've I've had two walks today because the weather's lovely. I'll probably have another one because got to make the most of it while we can. I, I'm lucky. I live just outside London, as I said. I, I'm five minutes walk from the river and the woods. I've got lots of lovely walks around me. I'm in the country. So I, I try and make the most of that. And, and I, you know, I take a lot of photos when I'm out walking as well. I've really got into that. Uh, a lot of people on, on social media love the photos that I post and comment on them. I'm about to redecorate my lounge and I'm sort of got to try and whistle through these photos and find a handful to turn into art for the walls rather than other people's art. So, so I think that's a big one. When we're in normal times, I'm a big sports fan, as I've alluded to already. And you know, going to live live sporting events is big for me. Football, not soccer, football. Uh, we don't call it soccer here. A cricket, but, you know, any live sports event. You know, I go to Wimbledon at least every second or third year. And uh, I'm a member, you know, I go to the rugby. I have memberships for the cricket, the rugby, the, the tennis, I can get tickets. And, and live music, which I also touched on earlier. I love going to gigs. So... You know, and I like the theatre and I read. So I have quite a rich base of hobbies and I love cooking as well. Um, that's awesome. So. <clears throat> that's awesome. And and I think I always uh, I finish saying, and that's why I ask, because you see the people that are the most passionate, the most, you know, inspired, that are living inspired lives are those that can connect to those things on a regular basis. And that I connected with walking yesterday. I went for a night walk because also, I mean, I'm in Miami and we're not on mandatory lockdown, but we're basically on lockdown because you don't want to get sick. And I just thought of that, how nice is to walk. And I don't have a nice forest, but I haven't, (laughs) you know, here in Miami is a little different, but still walking at night was so empowering. And you have to see. We have the sea. We have the sea. I'm a long way from the sea here. And when I was in South Africa in Cape Town and when I was in Australia, I mean, I loved walking by the sea, particularly at night, the smell of it. To me, 
there's two smells in the world. It's a very odd, odd sentence, but there's two amazing smells in the world for me. One is the sea and one is the rainforest just after it's rained, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the most pretentious statements I've ever made, but it's true. You know, <laughs> no, I've been I love I love that you share that. I love that you share the smells. Those are the kind of things I want to invite the audience to go think. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling disconnected, just think about what smell you like, what uh, image you want to see and go do it. So thank you, Andy, for spending this half an hour with us. It's been fantastic. You've been an inspiration to me. I'm going to go on my day, you know, with renewed commitment to my own, (laughs) you know, relationships. And I definitely will check out your podcast. All the information will be there in the, in the show notes to check it out. That's fantastic, Leticia. Thank you very much for inviting me on and I'm going to go out for a walk. (laughs) Oh, great. Well, enjoy, enjoy your walk and uh, to everybody else until a new episode of Back to Basics. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.